Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today, I'm joined by Austin Yoakum, and we're going to be discussing Austin's approach to strength and conditioning. Austin works with D1 and high caliber athletes, and you'll find that he doesn't always follow the traditional, you know, what you think of with strength and conditioning. Not everything is bigger, faster, stronger. Not everything is two-hour workouts under a barbell. He thinks outside of the box, and he uses some different approaches, and I'm super excited to have him on today and share them with you. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Austin, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I'm pumped. We've been BSing for the last 10 minutes about some uh, some fallacies in our field, and I'm, <laughs> I'm pumped to talk to you about some of them. 100%, man. So for people who aren't familiar with you, would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are and all the stuff that you do? Yeah, so uh, I would I own Yoakum Strength, which is uh, just my last name rotating through there. Um, you got to say the last name because it's tough to say that doesn't look like Yoakum at all. <laughs> um, so uh, owner of Yoakum Strength, like private uh, athlete training center, uh, X Division One strength coach, X Division Three strength coach, um, high school strength coach. Went down all those rabbit holes. Was a Division Three football player and track athlete. Um, and I like to talk about my background a little bit just because it is it was a very traditional meathead background, like. Uh, in high school, it was all Olympic lifts. I got up to like a 350 pound clean and jerk in high school. Um, this is big meat stick, like just meat stick that could not move. I uh, thought I had all the answers because I was the best in the weight room, walked on the football field, was just getting lit up, was slower, saw the game slower than everybody else. Uh, I was getting hurt all the time. I had a herniated disc when I was 16, um, busted up ankle a couple times, busted up knee. I uh, had a elbow issue where I couldn't feel the fingertips in my hands from punching and just went through this whole journey of thinking I had the answer, thinking like it was it, it was just more barbell, more weight on the barbell. Okay, now it's conjugate. Now it's as long as I had bands to the barbell, it's a little bit more athletic and went through this process and just continually started to realize like nobody has the answer. You know, like I'm looking at this guy to the right of me, this defense lineman to the right of me, I'm squatting 500 pounds and he's squatting 185 pounds and he sees the game slower than me. And uh, I'm the strength coach's best friend and he's the football coach's best friend. Uh, you know, like I'm walking on a field next to him. He hasn't worked out all off season and he's a better football player than me. And my goal at that time was to be a better football player. And it really just started to click. It's like continually. It's, and, and, and it is pretty obvious if you look at it, like if you look at it holistically, like it's obvious we don't have the answers. We talk about injury prevention and then that same injury prevention program will lead to ACL tears. You know, like we talk about sports performance. And what we're doing for sports performance is not leading to sports performance on the field. So it's like, we obviously and clearly do not have the answers. Um, and my goal is to like point that out to people that even though it shouldn't be pointed out and to point out some of the things that we're indoctrinated to, to think like, okay, like this is the three by 10 is the answer. Conjugate's the answer. West side's the answer. Five, three, one's the answer. Olympic lifts the answers. You see all these arguments like, no, it's all BS. Like It's all BS. We want to continue to keep our eyes open and continue to move forward. And right now I feel like a lot of the field and your field, I'm sure as well, is probably not really doing that because right now we have accepted that we have the answer, even though it's blatant in front of us that we don't. Well, we all kind of think that one thing that worked for us is going to work for every single person we ever encounter instead of learning a variety of different approaches and making it fit to how the person in front of us presents. And I think there's really a lost art of taking how someone presents to you subjectively and matching that to an objective program and creating objective change 
instead of taking a objective program. So these sets, these reps, these exercises, these weights, and applying that to the person. I think it should be person and then unique custom approach to them as opposed to, well, you know, 531 worked for me. I added 20 pounds to my bench. So you're going to get 531. Yeah. And you see those biases all the time, like a PT world, like one of the flaws with the PT world, all you see all the time is injured athletes. So <laughs> then the PT world treats athletes, all athletes, like they're injured. And you see all these research studies coming out, like we got to train them for these inj injury prevention, injury prevention. And it, and it makes sense because it's all you see as a strength coach, like these, it's all, it's all like these five tens and that's whatever, like it's five ten short dudes and tight polos, you know? compressive based athletes wide isa athletes that love the barbell because the barbell gets them results trying to force these super beautiful elastic narrow isa athletes into the same program you know and what we see like we're massively compressed wide isa athletes that can handle all this compression and handle this beat down and we're basically mules so we think everybody else is these mules and then you have these fights between the pts that only see only see these injured athletes and you have these short meat stick athletes that have put 600 pounds on their back. Like, I see, I'm not injured. Look at this. It's like, you guys are both like seeing only parts of the pie and we're not seeing the holistic pie. And these athletes get stuck in the middle ground of it. And they get stuck in this, either they're getting pushed through this PT world where it's like their booty bands on their, on their knees at all moments. And they're never actually doing any work. Or you have this six, six athlete that's being told by this five ten athlete that can't jump or do anything that they need to squat more to jump higher. And it's like, like we're both missing the picture and we're both missing the the clear biases that are in front of us at all moments. Right, right. We need more of a middle ground. And it sounds like at least for you, you were able to find that because you mentioned you were once on the meat stick side of the spectrum where you were lifting heavy weight and you were injured a lot and you weren't happy with what you were seeing from a football standpoint. So did you go through like a aha moment or like a paradigm shift that led you to change up what you do? Or how did you get from where you were then to where you are now with things? Yeah, and I, I had a couple of them. Like, it was a couple of epiphany moments of like, oh, this isn't working. Like, it isn't working. And like, I would I would go through this journey of like, it isn't working. Then I would grab onto the next thing. So it was Olympic lifts. Um, I worked in high school. And this is a tough part because they always work for a little bit. Like, the new thing works for a little bit. So the Olympic thing worked in high school. got me to the college level. I got to the college level. It was Olympic lifting more than everybody else. Got laid out at the college level. So I'm like, oh, shit. Epiphany moment. I got to change. Then it changed to conjugate. Okay, I'm starting to run and jump more. All these things. I, I take the next step forward. But I'm really not at the level that I need to be at. Uh, and I'm, I, I took a step up from being like a seventh string fullback to a second string D lineman, but I'm still a second string D lineman to a guy that I know is not stronger than me. That is not jumping higher than me. Like, what's the issue here? Went to uh, Cal Deeds, came into our school and it was all triphasic. I'm like, okay, it's triphasic. I read some of the stuff about the, the stretch shortening cycle and how elite level athletes are able to relax a little bit faster. So I'm like, okay, that's what I'm seeing. And like, I went through all these epiphany moments and the, by the time, we, we, we graduated, we, we had had some athletic success, but it was still so much harder, like the same athletic success I was getting other athletes were getting with like 0% of the effort that I was putting in. So that was another epiphany moment. And then I started the podcast um, in my meathead way, like started podcast and all these coaches continually pushed me down this rabbit hole. I was like, Oh shit. Like all these coaches are saying something and seeing something. And then COVID hit and I was taken out of my like beautiful box of the barbells and the then the cool trinkets that I had. And I had to implement some of the things that some of these um, coaches that came on the podcast were talking to me about, which were some of the body weight stuff, which was some of the sprinting, which some of the jumping aspects, some of the isometric holds. Um, and COVID, we weren't able to, especially in Minnesota, we weren't able to train for pretty much a year in a gym. And I had to learn how to train athletes outside of the gym. I had to learn how to train myself outside of the gym. And I was like, oh, 
I'm seeing sweet results. Like I'm seeing sweet results. And one of the cool things, I didn't touch a barbell for like probably six months. And I came back to a barbell and I was stronger with the barbell too. And I just felt so much better. I had, and I was like, wow, this is super cool. So that was really my epiphany moment. Then I'm like, okay, let's apply some of these pieces to my athletes. And the athletes had the same exact results. We were finding this middle ground of using the barbell and using movement and using all of these pieces of real sports performance training. And these athletes just started to feel amazing. And we started to increase, like, that's one of the things it's like, you can't just be the full on movement yogi. Like that's also a piece that's wrong with it. Like it's, I'm not swearing off the barbell. I'm not swearing off force production. It's just that you can train around it. Like we're talking about, you can bench once a week and still get stronger in the bench. You know, like you don't need to be the full meathead that benches four times a week and then wonder why your shoulder and elbows hurt and why, wonder why you're not getting better at your sport when you're spending all of your time that could be spent on your sport on the barbell. Like these things are still going to move forward. And the goal is to move forward holistically rather than move forward by spending all of our time on something that really doesn't matter. I think you've hit on a few major points that I think people need to really take away is one holistic two you mentioned a few times the word compressive and three movement. So a lot of people get locked into, as you mentioned, we'll, we'll pick on the barbell movements. People get locked into bench, squat, deadlift, overhead press, barbell row. And pretty much every week they do those five movements, two, three, four times a week. And as a result, they don't have any capacity to move outside of those planes of motion. So most of those were pretty much all sagittal plane. You know, I've seen arguments before, like squat, bench, they have transverse plane component. And I agree with that, but they're very sagittal dominant. So naturally, when I see someone like an athlete or a gym goer who comes in to see me, I test them and see how they move in transverse and uh, frontal plane. And nine times out of 10, it's just straight trash. Like there's no way to get around it. And then again, you match what they've been doing to how they present. And you realize no one has helped them train outside of the sagittal plane. We're just force feeding the same movement, the same motions over and over and over again. And somehow doing the same thing is somehow going to prevent injury and get us stronger. When in reality, we really need to break out of our normalcy and expose our body to more general physical prep or, you know, phase one type training. So we need to move in all different directions. We need to move in all different capacities and we need to find our weak areas, whether that's shoulder external rotation range of motion or hip internal rotation range of motion or eccentric control or whatever. And we need to hit those. And it sounds like, at least from your own experience, that you did that quite a bit with the body weight stuff and stepping out of the gym and incorporating a whole new training approach for yourself and your clients. Yeah. And I, I like to relate it to, it's like the law of diminishing returns. It's like to go from like shit to suck in the, in this uh, paragram of uh, training. Uh, it's so much easier to do that than to go from suck to good at something. And most athletes are at the suck to good point. Like they're desperately trying to go from suck to good or good to great in a barbell bench press in a squat. And it's super hard and it takes a lot of work. And it's not that it's not worth pursuing. It's just that there's so much less of the lemon to squeeze there. And if you're a power lifter, you need to squeeze that lemon because that that's what you need to do. To be a power lifter, you need to go from good to great in the barbell movements. When you're an athlete, you need to go from suck to good to great in your sport. And you need to spend as much time as possible on that. And you need to do things that allow you to do that. And we're all like almost every athlete that, I, that comes to me in these non-sagittal plane movements in these body weight type movements in these gymnastics type movements in moving their spine in doing anything that involves like a crawl or a climb or a roll 
um, they're at the shit part and they need to go from shit to good. And it's so much easier to do that. Um, and it's like the instant result. It's like, wow, this is magic. Wow, this is magic. It's like, no, you were just terrible at it before. And the law of diminishing trends is just super easy to get you to suck. And maybe we get you to good, but we don't even have to do that. I don't need to make a gymnast out of you. Like, I just want to make you moving like a human should move. And that that's where we've got away from. It's like the, these coaches talking about like this stuff's all new or this stuff is just like, uh, window wash or it's, uh, I heard like some coaches call it party tricks it's like no no it's just how we're supposed to move you know it, we're supposed to be able to squat like we're supposed to be able to crawl we're supposed to be able to climb things like our shoulders are supposed to move that way our spine's supposed to move that way we've just refused because the barbell is easily trackable and this is the biggest thing that our eight brains it's like we got these analytical minds in the strength conditioning world it's like the barbell is easily trackable we can put all these uh, numbers in a graph sheet type it all up show our strength coaches show the parents that look how how we got their squat from this to that and even sprints i sprints i think they're super important but like we get stuck as that like that's like our movement prep it's like it's because it's trackable what's not trackable and what's hard to track is maybe a crawl or a climb or all these things and the the objective data to where they're or subjective data where they're giving us like oh we feel better doing that it's like how do you tell a how do you show a strength coach how do you show an athletic director that they feel better you know and they're like when your job's on the line how do you do that and that that's where it's tough to be in that college sector because they're looking for numbers and, you, and you're stuck in this number based system when it's like that that's not like the number that matters is the scoreboard that that's the only number that matters is scoreboarding keeping kids on the field and how they move. Like if that's the only number you should be tracking the rest of it's like, it's BS. Like if it's not improving their sport, you're wasting your time. And that's where we get stuck in the system is it's really hard for coaches to switch over to some of these methods because we don't have a number to show a strength coach or we don't have a number to show an AD and it's not trackable and it's hard to progress in their brain. So they call it a party trick because otherwise it makes them feel uncomfortable that they're missing out on something, which they are. Right. Right. And as you mentioned, a lot of people are set in their ways and I've worked with a number of individuals who they are very focused, hyper-focused in some senses on the objective numbers. And I think to your point, there is a lost art of the subjective report of how someone does things. And it's almost like we need a middle ground between the subjective and the objective. But instead of putting it on a number, we almost need it to be more movement focused. So we need to put someone in a squat. We need to put someone in a lateral lunge. We need to put someone in a crawl or a lateral bear crawl or whatever and compare how they move on day one compared to how they're moving a month or two into the program. Because I guarantee you they're going, if they're saying they're feeling different, then they're probably moving a little bit different as well. Yeah. And uh, so here's the, like with the professional athletes and all this, like you, you, you're not you're not creating an NFL athlete. You're not creating a MLB athlete like you, you're just not like unless you're with them from maybe one years old or unless you're playing with their genetics like you're you're not the one creating that you're getting them like you're getting NFL athletes. You're getting at my internship that I worked at before we were getting NFL athletes and then we said our system created them. It's like, no, we're not. The, yesterday we just had an MLB player came in. He's an outfielder. Um, He just came in yesterday. It was his first day with us. We're working on some sprints and he ran like, uh, I think it was like a 22 mile flying 10. My system didn't make him run a 22 mile flying 10. Like no amount of like, if I have numbers and do this 0.6, but like I did not create that MLB athlete. There's nothing about me created. I got him. Like I got him. I attracted him. And our goal is to work with that athlete and do that. But th that's where we like fall into this fallacy of like our, our system created an NFL athlete. Our system created a freak. And like, while you can improve, like improve, you can 100% improve and level up your body and level up the system and level up the athlete. When you get to that peak, you were given something, you were given this beautiful mold and our sit like whatever, like 
if I get that NFL athlete or you get that NFL athlete, but either way, they're like they're processing the game and they have a central nervous system that is much faster than any other athlete that you're ever going to see. And they're they like that athlete is just doing that. And I think we have to be a little bit real, more realistic with that. Now, a great example is also at St. Thomas. We had this um, we had this transfer come in and he was with us for a year um, and he was an NFL prospect. The, the the best athlete like we've had on our team in the long time, like long, long time, like head and shoulders, saw the game above everybody else. Wasn't a massive output person, but just saw the game so much faster than everybody else, a cornerback. And he came in week one for training. We did some training and then week 12, he came in and he was talking to us. He's like, Hey coach, uh, love the new turf. We had, we got new turf in the weight room week four. Uh, and he came in, he's like, I love the new turf in the weight room coach. Like, this is awesome. This is cool. And I'm like, Isaiah, bro, like we got this turf eight weeks ago. So he hadn't been in the weight room for eight weeks. Like he hadn't done anything we trained for eight weeks. And I can sit there and say, and he went, got an NFL offer. He was an all American, had like 15 interceptions that year, something crazy. Um, and played wide receiver. Like he's playing both sides of the ball in division on division one football team, which is crazy. Uh, I can go say like my system created this guy, my system did this. It's like, no, like he, he didn't lift with us for eight weeks, and we have no say over it at this time, uh, because of COVID rules. We couldn't force him to come lift with us or do anything like that. But he's just an NFL athlete. Like my system did not create that NFL athlete. The dude hadn't been in the weight room for eight weeks and it was by far our best player. Like, what am I gonna say about that? Like, my the none of nothing we did, like he literally did nothing in his like he did rip some arms for moms uh, like before the game day and wanted to show up pumped. And am I gonna tell him like that's the wrong system? So that that's where we fall into this like fallacy of like I created that NFL athlete. That's why my system works. All this stuff is like you're probably just a really good marketer of what you do. Like you're really good with people people like and that's not that is not a fault it's it's like i'm attracting professional athletes too and i love it like i love doing it but it's not the physical aspect you know it's the psychological aspect of getting somebody to the spiritual aspect of getting somebody to believe in you relating to that athlete getting intense out of the athlete doing that but it's not the system itself and that's where we fall apart it's like i created an NFL athletes with a front squat and well no i created an NFL athletes with the olympic lifts neither of you guys did that neither of you did that like you create an NFL athlete by being personable and relating to that NFL, that NFL athlete and being somebody they could talk to and believe in. And that's what you did. Your, your, your actual physical part was not what did it. Right. Right. And I think that creates the whole case for the purpose of strength and conditioning, right? Is there is a physical component, but you can't be reliant only on the physical results is it, I would say your interaction with your client plays into things. If you're a physical therapist or a Cairo or whoever, your interaction with that patient plays just as much of a role in the success of that patient as what you actually do with them. I don't care if it's joint manipulation, cupping, needling, exercise, whatever. If you are engaging them on the mental and the psychological components, then they're probably going to get better. And I always um, love bringing this up and it makes me uh, feel great about the industry that I'm going into. There's a number of research articles because research just says everything about pa some patients. Um, I forget the number right off, maybe a third. Their condition will actually get better on its own within a year, regardless of if you do anything or not. So it's like, even if I don't do a damn thing with this person, if they just wait a year, it's going to self-resolve itself. So it goes back to, again, one, what am I doing? And two, if I am going to do something with this person, and I'm going to tell them it's beneficial, I better be able to show it subjectively and object objectively to them. Because if I'm just spitting smoke, then what am I, what am I really doing? 
why is someone coming to see me? Why are they working with me? And why am I getting paid to do something if it's not actually going to do anything? Yeah. And, and being able to, I think, accept that that's a big thing in the strength conditioning world is like, accept that you're probably not that important in the physical sense. Like you are super important in the spiritual and psychological sense of you need people to want to see you and want to do what you do and want to give intent. But the, the, like what we, we kind of like put our value and self-worth in our programs that we write down. And that's not where our value and self-worth should be. Obviously there is better and worse. There is better and worse. Like there is like you talked about that baseball where they're banded up like 12 times and they're just kind of like, you know, they're wasting time. I like there is better and worse, but the tough part is like, even that person's going to see results just strictly because of the belief, like the psychological belief that they'll walk up to the plate and they like, I believe in my coach. I believe in what I did. So I'm going to be better. Now, ideally you combine that with a good physical program with a good rehab program and you have both pieces, but I think a lot of strength coaches put their self-worth in the wrong thing and they get rewarded for it because they are really good marketers. They are really good people uh, that are able to talk to athletes and motivate athletes and get belief out of athletes. Um, and ideally we go a little bit more towards the middle ground where it's the belief aspect with a good program. So it's not the BS, but that's why you see success in BS programs. It is like, you know, these like go to type programs or any, any of these programs, like you'll still see success there because people believe so strongly in it. It almost, it's like, it's a religion or cult that they have for themselves. And they start to get that, like that confidence and you, and you look into uh like skill acquisition or you look into sports performance or entering a flow state and a lot of it comes back to being confident and having belief and not spending mental energy worrying about your training while you're in the moment and you can just go into the moment and those athletes are always going to outperform athletes that don't believe in what they're doing and question what they're doing or are unconfident in what they're doing because they're spending mental energy that should be spent on the game on their own mind so you know that that's why those programs see results um, it has nothing to do with the physical and a lot of times their physical programs will hurt them and take them back. But the mental part of it is so strong that it's ignored by the body and the body's resilient. That's the other thing. The body's resilient. It can survive all of the BS that we put it through. Right, right. It hangs on somehow through all of it. Now, you mentioned a few terms that I want to kind of go back to there. So you mentioned about athletes reaching a flow state. And for people who aren't familiar with that term, can you kind of describe what you mean by flow state? Yeah, I talk about flow state as being completely in the moment. And and like one of the best examples, like I've been playing pickleball on slow pitch softball a lot. And the, I know when I'm in a flow state where it's all reactive, like it's almost like I don't even remember doing what I just did. Like it just everything happens. And this is that I'm working on a post and working on a blog about this, but it's like almost all errors in sport to me. As soon as it happens, like what do you hear the athletes say? They say, I tried to do something. I, I pick a ball. I hear it all. And I tried to hit the ball. I tried to do this. I try. They're trying. Like when you're trying, you're not in a flow state. And when you're trying to force something, you're trying to do something with your body. That's taking you out of that eight brain. That's taking you out of that flow state that you're like, is just so reactive and so able to do things that you're putting yourself in this analytical, this type two brain that is analytically trying to solve an eight brain problem and you're slower and you're not doing stuff. And sometimes you get away with it, but I've just been really like picking up on athletes. Like whenever they mess up, it's like, I tried to, Oh man, I tried to do that. I try like our goal with the flow state to get our athletes. Like we're not trying to do anything. We're just, we're just playing. Like we're just doing what our, like our body's supposed to do. And it is kind of hard to explain, but if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it just happened. Like I, I, I kind of thought about it, but it just kind of happened to the ball. And it's like, whoa, what did like, how did that happen? Like what in the world? And I, that's, that's where I'm really trying to tie into 
how can we get our athletes into that eight brain mindset longer and allow them to stay there? And what I found is like eliminate distractions, eliminate self-doubt, eliminate their ability to be focused on something else. Because like when you when you're drained by these thought processes, that when that's when you try to do something, or you have the pressure of the game and you feel like you need to do something different. That's a big thing. It's like you can get taken out of flow state real quick by being in a close game. And in a close game, if you're you're like, oh, this 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 method isn't working, I gotta try and do something different. Uh, and when you try that way, a lot of times it backfires and then you start to do goofy things with the body uh, and you start to shorten your range of motion or you start to be a little bit slower with your reaction. And that's all it takes, especially the higher level you go in your athletics. The more you see these athletes, it's like you see these you hear these athletes. I hear um, Barry Bonds talk about it a lot. Um, you hear a uh, pass rushers is another really big one. You hear them talk about what they're doing. And it's just funny hearing them talk about it because they're like they're kind of saying one thing, but then you watch them and they're like, they're not doing it. They're just they're trying to put words on the piece of art that they created without like when they were painting that piece of art, they were not thinking, ah, my pen goes here, my pen goes here, my pen goes here. It was just like, it was just flow. Like they were just doing it. And then they have to go back and analyze and try and figure out what they're doing, but they really can't explain it because you can't explain the flow state. Like it just, it just kind of happens. And now exposing our athletes to that flow state, having them understand what that is, having them not be scared of it, which is a big part of it. Cause I know a lot of athletes, they want to try and do something. They feel like when it's automatic, they don't know how to, they, they get a little scared and goofy. Like I, that just happened. I don't know how it happened. How can I cling to that? It's like, you don't want to cling to it, man. Like, let it happen. Let it be there. Be in the moment. Just do what your body's meant to do. And it'll happen. But a lot of athletes are start to get scared of that thought process because they're not trying anymore. And they feel like when they're not trying, it's like this oxymoron when they're not trying that they're going to fail. But it's exactly the opposite. A lot of times when you try and force something, that is when your failure happens. Right. And taking it back to what you uh, what we talked about earlier there with people being set in their ways. Well, if you squat with a super wide stance and you believe everyone needs to squat wide or you deadlift sumo, you pull sumo and everyone who comes in needs to pull sumo instead of matching how they present to you with the uh, best form or movement strategy for them. Uh, you're going to cause more harm than good. You're going to cause more problems. So if an athlete comes in, I tell them, hey, squat like you normally would and sh see what they show you. Some people, they might like the wide stance. Some people might like narrow. But I would caution anyone who's listening on changing their form uh, or their preferred form of a lift like that because now you're breaking the mold. You're breaking what they always resort to. So when you say squat, they show you their squat. That's how they've done that repetition hundreds, thousands of times. You say run, you're probably not going to change someone's running form in two to three hours a week of, you know, PT or even strength and conditioning, right? You get some of your pose running guys out there and you're not going to change their running form. You're not going to change how they've moved for 15, 17, 18 years through some of these primal patterns with a couple hours a week of work. I'm sorry, but that's just not how it works. Well, and it's funny, too, because it's like, OK, we talk about all these a skips. We talk about all these running form changes. Um, you even talk about all these technique works in squats. It's like, OK, you really want to find out, like, if your shit's working, like, sorry, if your stuff's working, have them go <laughs> race, you know, like you, you perform this beautiful high knee running build up, like whatever you have them race a guy they're they're going to self-organize to beat that person they're going to self-organize through the environment to beat the person and i promise you they're not keeping your high knees i promise you they're not keeping your long stri stride length that you just talked about and squatting is the same thing you load up a heavy barbell they're not going to do like what you do they're just going to figure out how to solve the movement problem in front of you and once you realize and that's what you want 
That's what the best athletes, they solve the movement problem in front of them. They do not think about solving the movement problem. They do not like, they do not go about the journey of salt. Like they just solve the movement problem in front of you. And that that's where it's super obvious. And what you're talking about, like you talk, we talk about all these things, like perfect technique and all of these aspects. And it's like, when it comes down to it, it's not what they're doing. It, it's it's not what they're doing. They're just, they're going to solve, they're going to resort back to solving the movement problem in front of them. So now you want to make them good at solving the movement and problem in front of them, giving them tools to solve that movement problem in front of them, which you could say sprint technique is, but a lot of that falls apart too. So I, that's why I, I like the constraint led approach. I like the variation led approach to give them tools that they can self adapt to and self grab to when they get stuck in those situations to where, now it's like, okay, that did feel better. Subconscious, that did feel better. I got that weight up that way, or I sprinted that way and beat this guy that way, or made that guy miss by doing this. And we're just exposing them to a ton of different environments, movement environments. So they're adding movement tools to their box rather than forcing a like, it's like that. That's where I see a lot of code, like the, the sumo stance squat that you're talking. It's like giving them a hammer when they could just grab the screwdriver that they have. You know, it's like, why? Like, why are we forcing the hammer? Like, okay, show them how to use a hammer which is sumo, show them how to use the screwdriver, which is narrow stance, show them how to use a drill, which is going to be maybe the stand, like just a normal stance in between. And then when the problem comes, when they have to pick up their groceries or they have to pick up their kids or in sports, they have to pick up an athlete. Now they have, they have all these tools in their toolbox and they get to grab whatever one and they're not stuck into, well, my coach said I should use a hammer. It's the only tool we've used forever, but this looks like a screwdriver job, but uh, nope, I got this hammer. I got a sumo pick everything up, you know, like it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work when it comes down to when it comes down to it, when you're trying to actively solve that movement problem. And that's what I have a lot of coaches do that are stuck in that a skip mentality is I just have them watch athletes sprints. You can spend 30 to 40 minutes on your sprint tech and then have them go race somebody. And I promise it's all falling out to do whatever they were resorting to before to go and beat that athlete. Right. And all you're really doing is enhancing movement vocabulary or movement IQ is you're enhancing their ability to move in different ways. So as you said, when they get in a unique position in a game or practice, scrimmage, whatever, and they need to move a different way, their body's like, hey, I've done this before. This is just a whole nother way that we can accomplish this same thing. Now, I know that that has led to a very unique training approach for you and a lot of your clients. I mean, we were talking before about a five minute isometric single leg hold with 135 pound barbell on your back. And that's no easy feat, but naturally there's a ton of benefit that could come from something like that. But it's also not the conventional strength and conditioning. I can't say that I've seen anyone in the gym just stand on one leg with a bar on their back for five minutes straight. Um, and I, I think it's a great way to turn heads, but I also think it's an amazing training technique to cycle through. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of different variety you've talked about recently on your social platforms with the bench press and a whole number, uh, a whole host of other movements as well. So for people who haven't seen your training approach or people who aren't your clients, could you kind of describe what your typical workouts might look like or entail and how you kind of rotate through different movements and motions for your clients and athletes? Yeah. So a typical day, like uh, the three kind of pillars that we talk about, we talk about building armor, which would be some of those isometrics, adding movement tools to our toolbox, which is some of our gymnastic movements, and then learning and using those tools, which is kind of our expression based, our output based kind of mold of things. And this is so, where so oh, arms for moms didn't make the list. Arms for moms. <laughs> that's going to that's going to fall under our extra our extra category. I like that four pillars. Arms for moms has to be number four. I like that. I got caught there. I'm lying to you guys. 
always finish with arms for moms. That's going to be the most functional part of all of it. Uh, but we have these, we have these three pillars, these three pillars, and we'll start everyone almost every day. And I, I like to look at the psychological side of it. So you have these athletes coming in, uh, they don't really have a ton of control throughout their day. Like they're stuck in class, they're stuck in practice, they're told what to do in all of these aspects. So I like to have them come in and give them a little bit of free choice, you know, like give them some choice to do what they want to do. And this is kind of, we also blend this with our, so we do the psychological, we're giving them the choice, we're giving them that flow based, a um, little bit more free based movement. And we're working on the adding movement tools to our toolbox. So this is the start of our warm up, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, a lot of times we'll have the athletes pick. We'll we'll work on some of these things, but we're gonna add. We're gonna learn learn a new movement tool today. So maybe it's rolls. Maybe we're bending the spine with the rolls. Maybe it's handstands that we're working with. Maybe it's bear crawl races. Maybe it's bear crawl fights. We're doing some of these type aspects to learn a new thing that our body can do. Sometimes we're doing backflips. Like we're doing a lot of crazy stuff. We're doing cartwheels. We're doing a lot of stuff like that. Um, and this is just to get the the energy up in the room, but we're also adding these movement tools to our toolbox. And while we have this energy up, now we're going to go into learning how to use these movement tools. So we're going to apply it into game-based settings. So either it's a time sprint, uh, um, uh, a time jump, we're going to do some small side of games, agility games, and we're going to apply some of these tools that we just learned. Um, or we're going to go into output-based lifts. Like this is kind of the second part of our lift. They're like output-based lifts. This is where traditional bench squat deadlift that we're rotating through there. That's where we add all of this. So it's it's this high aspect. We got this high aspect funneling into this high output that we want massive outputs during the day, sprints, jumps, small-sided agility games, lifts. And then we'll go, we'll try to psychologically dial them back down, just like a game where you have that high ramp up to a kickoff. You have a high, every all the excitement, everything. It's high, high, high. Can we get high? Can we get in there? And now we're going to funnel that high into a low aspect. And this is where we go into our first building armor series. And this is where we do something where we're holding that isometric for five minutes in the middle of the workout. We're um, a lot of times we'll do like a thousand rep scheme. So we'll do a drop catch, a uh, hundred to a thousand reps. We'll do some spinal movements for a hundred to a thousand reps, something that's super slow, something that's super internal. And can we get you to come back internally? Can we get you to calm back down come back down after this high output? Everybody's racing. Everybody's jumping. Can we come back down into this moment and learn our bodies just a little bit? So we're building armor. We have the physical aspect of building the armor, but psychologically we're learning our bodies. We're learning. Can we hold in this moment for super long? Can we come back down? Um, and then this is traditionally after this, we'll funnel back out. So now let's say it's a dead part during the game. Psychologically, you're you're coming back in. Okay, you're, re, you're self-adjusting coming internal. Okay. Now we got to come back into the game. We got to, we got to get high again. So now we're going to do something that's a little bit more community-based. So this is where we'll do, we're still working to kind of build the armors, but maybe this is arms for moms plays in here too. We'll do something that's more of a fun lift, more of a traditional accessory based lift, tricep pushdowns, curls on an upper body day, or something else that we'll do is where it's more partner-based. So it's like a, a partner pushed hip pull down. Um, where your partner is actually touching you. But in this aspect, you got to come back out of that internal sense and work with the community around you. Ask for partners for pushing you down. Um, you're doing you're doing more traditional stuff that's a little bit higher up. And then we'll funnel it back down into another isometric or another thousand rep movement. And that's kind of how we funnel it. So it's we're working all the physical aspects of building your armor, adding movement tools, learning how to use these movement tools with expression, empowering the tools. Um, but we're also working the psychological aspect of high, low, high, low, and see if we can bounce back in between. And then having conversations with our athletes and how did they funnel between those two um, psychological states and where are they struggling? Are they, are they able to get back out of the internal sense and back high into 
okay, now I need to go back into the community and get a little bit more energy. Are they able to come down? A lot of athletes aren't able to come down. It'll come from this expression-based output where they just made somebody miss or they just want to race or they just jump super high or lifted super heavy and they're not able to come back down or they don't want to come back down and they, they want to stay in that high feeling. It's like, okay, is that real? You know, like in a game, you're not going to always stay high. You're not going to win every rep. So can you come back down and have that conversation? That's kind of a typical training day for us. And we bump that between upper and lower days, but we kind of keep that those principles the same. Gotcha. So it seems like your overall day is kind of, or your progression, I should say, is more based on the psychological component as opposed to like, we are going to do compounds first because X, Y, and Z, or we're going to do this warm up first because that's what we always do. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we have our physical components that we're going to hit and we don't miss the physical components, but honestly, that's super easy to do. Like it's super easy to program physically. Like, like that's what they're coming to you for. That's what you're doing. That's what you're expert in. If you don't hit your physical buckets, like, and like, what, why do you have a job? And then, so now it's like taking a step further. It's like, okay, let's play with some of these aspects that are a little bit more important to me. And that are like in the law of diminishing returns that aren't worked on in any other program that aren't worked on in any other aspect of their lives. And a lot of athletes are terrible at it. They don't know how to psychologically balance those two components. Um, and once you get them to understand what's happening and they get a little bit of confidence in that, it, it's pretty cool to see the results. Now, do you use a similar approach for your online clients as well, or do they train slightly differently? For the Building Better Mover series, so we have a couple series. So we have like this Get Yoke series that is like a little bit more meathead based. Um, but even then, like I, I try to do the same thing. Like the Building Better Mover series is based 100% off how we train our athletes. It's the same exact setup. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be funneling through and getting that getting that kind of psychological balance. And I honestly like it, it like as much as like I think it's a much more enjoyable way to train. Like you don't have to like. Like you put all of your ISOs at the end, like you're going to get 20% effort into your ISOs. Like you're going to get 20% effort. You do like a boring ass dynamic warm up. Like you're not going to get any intense into your, like one into your warm up and adding movement tools in. Like the athletes just don't care about it. Like the amount of times, like I've been at St. Thomas where we have 100 at, like, why, like, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing this? Like, and exactly, like, why are we doing this? Like, what, like, we can do all of this in a game based setting or just a more fun based setting. So, trying to expose, and we're going to get exposed to more movement options and get out of that sagittal plane. Like, you talk about the A skips and like the A skip, we're staying in that sagittal. Like, we're doing the same thing robotically. Like, we're not robots. So, yeah, all of our online training is going to be exactly the same, just trying to get our humans to move like humans. And again, it's the same thing, especially in the online setting, because it's like, these the a lot of the like our big populations like these 30 to 40 year old athlete i call them all athletes but they, they like ex-athletes that want to train like athletes and they, they come from these 531 programs or west side programs or just meet at programs like wow like your program's magical it's like no it's like no it's not you're just not lifting a barbell 14 times a week and you're still getting stronger because that's how the body works you're just moving your body the way it's meant to move and now you feel better because of it so yeah we train exactly the same way there awesome i love that and i love how anyone can train like an athlete you're not saying like hey this is only for high schoolers or this is only for people in their 20s like doesn't matter you can be 30 you can be 40 you can be 50 and you can do very similar stuff to the 20 year old athlete and still get benefit from it um now i know we're closing out on time so of course i have to ask where did the keep chopping wood thing come from keep chopping wood came from so i was uh i was pretty set on quitting football in college um and I was going up to my, I had texted my high school head coach, hey, I'm about to, about to quit football. I was a seven string fullback. I'd busted up my ankle. I was, I was pretty down bad. Um, and I was going to transfer out of St. Thomas and go to a, a local college near my home and kind of just take the easy path out of life. Like 
a local college near home, probably work for uh like construction company or sprinkler company near my home, maybe play some football or maybe just quit football altogether. Um, and I was on my way up to my um head football coach, my head college football coach's office, um, to go tell him I was about to quit. And I texted my high school head coach, who was a big influence in my life. Hey, coach, thank you for all that you've done, but uh, I think I'm about to quit football. I'm not really enjoying it here. Um, and all he texted back was, "That's not who you are. Keep chopping wood." <laughs> um, and from there, like, and he the like the cool part. I tell the story a lot, but he doesn't even remember sending that text. Like, I talked to him about it four years later when we graduated with all American honors and. Um, all of these awards and everything that we did. Um, and I told him, I like you, that, that text message saved me from transferring out. It's like, it's the reason Yoakum strength started like everything. Like I would have transferred out and done the easy path in life. And it just would have been um, one small decision after one small decision that continued to lead down a path of easy and a path, a path of like complacency. And I told him, and he's like, I don't even remember sending that text. And that, that, that's just, that it's just so many reminders to me of like, you have no idea like the impact your simple words and your simple texts have on people. You have no, you have no idea the impact that has that te one text changed the entire direction of my life. Um, and he doesn't remember saying it. So you're saying stuff like that to your athletes and everybody that you're around all day long. So th that part's really cool to me. And the, the, the message to keep dropping one is like, just keep swinging and good things are going to happen. Like continually show up and it, it, like the tree is not going to fall every single day. Like, you're not going to build the house in a single day, but just keep swinging that axe, keep chopping wood and good things eventually are going to happen. Like I, I talked, I talked on that bench press post yesterday. It's like, start with 16 weeks, but ideally you go 16 years. It's like, how do you get strong? You do something consistently for 10 years. You know, like when you're looking for these 12 week programs and these 12, it's, like, it's none of that. It's, it's 10 years of work. It's 10 years of swinging the axe and nobody wants to hear that. And nobody wants to sell that, but that's what it is. It's, it's chopping wood for a long period of time. And that's where you really start to see, it's same as money, like the compounding interest that eventually pays off and really cool things start to happen in your life. But everybody wants this four week program or this 12 week program or this uh, two week business program for everything to work out. And it's just not how it works. Like every day you need to show up and swing the ax and then things hopefully will happen. And if not, then you keep swinging the ax until they do. Yeah. Gets into the whole instant versus delayed gratification and we could go on about that forever because uh, I, I love when people come in and they have like, I saw one earlier uh, this month, actually, adhesive capsulitis of the shoulder, which usually takes six to 12 months to correct. And they go, so uh, is this going to take four or five visits? And it's like, well, uh, neither. Try again. So uh, I do think we are caught up in instant gratification and we really need to get back to the lifelong model, because if something is good for you in the short term, it's probably not going to benefit you in the long run. So if you can increase your bench squat and deadlift rep max in a month, then I would ask, what is it that you're doing that's allowing you to do that? And what is it going to have on the long term? So is it something like chemical enhancement? Is it hormonal? Is it like all these other things that I've seen people resort to to try and get ahead or try and cheat the system when in reality, there's no cheat code for life? Yeah, you're always going to pay back that loan that you took out. <laughs> for sure. So Austin, for people who want to find out more about you or check out your programs and all the cool stuff that you do, where can they find you at? Yeah, we're just hosting Yoakum on all social media and that'll lead you to anything that you want to find. Awesome. Awesome. Including some arms for moms t-shirts or it, not yet. Coming. So we, okay. So this is a good plug. You're going to be the first person to find out. We just dropped, we just dropped our uh, merch site. So Perfect. we just dropped that. Yeah. We just dropped that. We got arms for mom shirts coming. We're, we're working on the arms for moms logo and the, the, 
uh, be elite logo and the don't be soft logo. So we're working on a couple logos, but the, the merch sites finally dropped. All my athletes have been bugging me to do it for like four <laughs> years. And we finally figured that all out. So that, that just dropped like two days ago. So that was a good plug. I love it. I love it. We'll link to all of that below in the show notes as well, in case you didn't quite catch it. Austin, I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.